0: Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber I'm sitting here with Andrew Hunter-Murray, Anna Chazinski and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in a particular order, here we go. Starting with you, Andy. Thank
1: you <laughs> for that incredibly forgetful introduction. <laughs> <laughs> My fact this week is that chicken's eggs turn from pointy end first to the blunt end first just before they come out. Like a baby. Like a baby.
0: Which I don't know if babies have a pointy end, but I they, think they that do. when a baby's getting oh, yeah, ready, yeah, I guess the head the, is the a head. pointy end. So when you're getting ready to be born, babies right. will go into dive position.
2: Well, most babies do. Most although babies. I was a breech. As was my brother. Ah. Uh, so I wonder if chickens have the same thing, where <laughs> sometimes you get a breech one, where awkward eggs, awkward eggs, yeah. And sometimes yeah. they have to caesarean it out because it's the pointy end first, and it's just too <laughs> difficult.
3: Um, yeah, which seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Um, so
2: why do they come out um, that end first? I don't know.
3: Once you get past the r- most rounded bit, it probably just fires it slips out. out. Yeah, it's yeah. exactly
2: like a baby. That's why it's harder with a baby when they ah. come out next first, because you have to push hardest right at the end, don't you?
3: Babies <laughs> should come out like. You know, like in the pencil position, like they a pencil should. dive, <laughs> or like a diver the other way around. with yeah. the with the hands in a diving position. That'd be good. That's well. how I imagine Tom Daly was born. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My waters are broken, and
1: there's lots of them.
0: <laughs> Judges hold up an eight. <laughs> I was I was talking about Tom Daly the other day. I have a theory that. And it might not, not even be a theory, it might be a fact. But if you were a diver and you dive off high boards, yeah. half of your training must be just walking up upstairs. No, right. it's not a fact. <laughs> no, I think that is a fact. What do you mean by training? Well, because if you if you're not used to walking upstairs, like Anna and I walked up some stairs the other day and I almost died. Uh, you you lose your energy and he's got to now do a dive once he's at the top of there and those boards are really high and they're really steep stairs
3: but they are elite sports people not like you walking up the stairs (laughs) at
0: Covent Garden but they they must part of their training must be like climb up some stairs.
2: It must no. be. There's no possible reason why you wouldn't train them to climb stairs all the time. Actually,
1: Dan, elite divers have chair lifts uh, yeah. so they can conserve their energy. There we go. Yeah,
2: Dan, do you understand that if you get fit at one thing, sometimes that means you're fit at loads of other things. So if I become like a champion runner, yeah. I'll also probably find it easier to go upstairs. I don't. Well, I
3: disagree easy. with that. I don't that. think, I don't think disagree that's true. Though. I think it uses different muscle groups. Yeah, but yeah. have you seen these divers? They're like super fit. <laughs> I'm not saying... They're not I'm like... Fit. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Flabby ass (laughs) people trying to get up the stairs, are they? (laughs) I'm annoyed that I've been bounced into the position of now
1: supposedly (laughs) saying that divers are not fit.
2: (laughs) You know, because all those competitions where they take a rest halfway up, don't they? They have to sit down. Now, if the
3: if the whole point of diving was to make the biggest splash possible, yeah. then you would have a lot of out-of-shape people climbing up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And then that would be a problem. Yes, yes. but did you because mean, they
0: might not make it to the, the dive. Well, that would be part of the... That's part of the competition yeah, then. Exactly. So you have to be big enough to make a massive
1: splash, but not big enough that you can't get to the top <laughs> board. <laughs> and that's the two tensions. yeah. yeah.
2: Sumo okay. diving. I'm surprised this isn't a thing.
1: <laughs> you're right, yeah.
0: So, ha- hang on, you're saying that... Do you mean half the time that divers spend I'm just saying I, I didn't factor in that that's half the gig getting up to the board. <laughs> but then I think
3: if you wanted to be an elite diver and you spent half of your training time climbing up and down stairs and only half of your training time learning how to actually dive, then probably... You but would, they must you, th- But no Dan's right They must do How long does it take To get up those stairs 30 seconds Once you're at the top
1: How long do you spend Faffing around Getting ready for the dive Probably yep. about 30 seconds They're probably catching Their breath again
3: <laughs> They're not all tr- That's not why all Training happens of course With um, divers They do a lot in mats And stuff like that It's a lot of gymnastics And stuff they? like yeah. yeah Didn't know that no, I Oh so that. I see
2: You're just saying They spend half their time Because to practice yeah. They do have to get up the stairs Whereas Dan's saying They actually need to practice Going up the stairs
0: <laughs> I,
1: I, If you got there And you'd only had time To complete the first half of of your modules. You just got to the top of the stairs. Just
2: look down holy shit, I am not doing that.
1: <laughs> anyway, eggs. eggs
2: yeah, thank <laughs> you. Something about the man who discovered this. The
1: man who discovered, um, just to remind you of the fact, that chickens' eggs turn from pointy end first to blunt end first just before they hatch. He was an egg uh, scientist, uh, he studied birds and bird's eggs, and he was called Heinrich uh, Wickman, or Wickman, uh, and he found out by marking the eggs with a pencil, up the birds, <laughs> just an hour before they laid the eggs. So he inserted a pencil... Into the bird's cloaca. I oh. I know. Anyway, I got this in a book uh, called The Most Perfect Thing. Uh, It's a book all about bird's eggs by a guy called Tim Burkhead and I do recommend it. It's a really interesting book.
2: An egg shape is, uh, that specific shape is the most pleasing shape that it could be to us. (laughs) So they've done some brain tests that look at the kind of surface curvature that humans find most pleasing, and across all societies it's that exact curvature. So if it goes more pointy or more squashed, then we don't enjoy looking at it as much. And I think it's because we've evolved to think that that's what a healthy... uh, bit of tissue um development would look like but what's interesting
3: is that different eggs are different sizes for different birds aren't they so is this a chicken Mm. egg you're talking about
2: chicken egg yeah interesting but they're often quite you do get more rounded eggs but you don't get like really long thin (laughs) ones very
3: often (laughs) because then the bird that was born in them like maybe a snake's egg would be like that a stick
2: (laughs) a stick bird
3: (laughs) (laughs) flamingo (laughs) egg would be like that yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) um but (laughs) <laughs> you do get round ones. You do get round ones. Yeah. yeah. Who do who do round ones? But some other birds. Some so other birds. Bird. Yeah. Do they? There was a theory. I don't think this might not be true anymore. But the idea that the egg-shaped ones don't really roll out of nests very well, and the ones which are more rounded are ones that lay eggs on the floor. Yeah. So they don't. They might not fall out of trees as likely. Yeah. Are you right. going to
2: debunk that theory?
3: I've I've read a debunk but I can't I didn't look into it properly. There is something in this book about it as well
1: is actually. A, I can't remember chapter and verse. Yeah.
0: They could have done um in order to find it out with modern technology uh, a sort of x-ray video. Cuz do you remember mm. there's that incredible um photo of what a kiwi bird looks like just before it gives birth? Yeah. I used to have that picture on my wall. I found it so. Did you? Amazing. we just yeah. love the curvature so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just cuz it's you're looking at it going is this a is this a kiwi with an egg in it or is this an egg with a kiwi over it it's, it's both it's, really it's both they're both <laughs> the same
3: size are you inside your clothes or are they outside of you <laughs> i think it's james it's both is it <laughs> but yeah
1: that's
3: more in my mind. But the, the
0: equivalent if you if a kiwi bird when you see this picture and i highly yeah. recommend google this picture Kiwi you put bird, it on your yeah twitter? i'll put it on my twitter i'll put it on acui podcast as well it's the equivalent to a human giving birth to a four-year-old Uh, that's how big the
1: egg is and they're often wearing jumpers and things so that would be especially (laughs) scratchy and difficult (laughs)
2: Lego Lego (laughs) jamming into you on the way out (laughs) did you know that uh, mammals evolved milk in order to wet their eggs what? I don't even understand that hang on I know
0: like cooked chicken eggs or Uh, not we
2: didn't we didn't evolve milk so we could poach a good egg in it (laughs) What's so, egg? what so yeah. what eggs so millions of years ago when our ancestors were still laying eggs they didn't have shells um so they had like quite a porous membrane um and that meant that they would dry out really easily and so we evolved milk, people think now, in order to like put it over the eggs what? and make sure that they didn't get dehydrated. And then we realized, evolution realized, that quite a good use of this milk would be as a way of transferring some nutrients into the, the offspring in our egg. Um, and so we developed more and more nutrients in our milk and mm-hmm. then kept putting that in the egg. And then eventually um, that our milk became so nutrient-filled that it became just something we could nurture a baby with.
0: That is cool. Wow. I was reading that you can know what colour an egg's going to be from a chicken by looking at its ears. Chickens don't have
1: external ears, do they? They
0: have earlobes. They have earlobes. Do they?
2: Yeah, prominent. You'll have seen them. I think maybe you just didn't think of them as being earlobes.
0: Yeah, so um, if they have white earlobes, they'll have white eggs. And if they have red earlobes, they'll have brown eggs. This... The article stresses is not always the case, <laughs> right? Right. Okay. <laughs> but but they do say that it's it's something that people have noticed more often than not.
2: It's almost always the case, I think. You can tell it's going to be a color similar to the earlobes. Are you? I Andy pay, is imagining
3: I a chicken with human ears. Yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> and it's disgusting. Yeah. Gross. You ever
2: seen a chicken? Do you know what a chicken is? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I just was because this is your fact, so I was just checking you had googled chicken
3: before you. Yeah. Came in here. yeah, I think it's not the first thing you see when you look at a chicken, though, is it? You right see on. the feathers and you see the beak. Mm. Yeah. You, it's not the initial... And sometimes
1: the little feathery trousers, you know, the little spurs they have. Those are pretty yeah. cute. Oh, yeah. Oh, Those cool. with the big, yeah, yeah. cowboy's tongue.
3: But it's not like elephants where <laughs> the first thing you see is the ears. Yes.
2: <laughs> the first thing you see on an elephant is the trunk, James. Well, I'm looking um, from the side. But... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's facing away from you
1: <laughs> coquettishly.
0: Okay, it is time to move on to fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that the former Prime Minister of Georgia
3: has started taking famous trees from around his country. Digging them up and then planting them in his own garden <laughs> <laughs> he 's like he 's personally digging them up he 's digging them up it 's amazing so I was re- so for our book, which is coming out in November, uh-huh. I was reading about the world geopolitical situation and there 's things happening in georgia there 's elections in Abkhazia where they 're trying to get out of georgia and While I was reading that, I came across this guy, and I can 't believe i 've never heard about him before. He's called um, Bidzina Ivanishvili, and he's taking trees from around the country and either driving them or putting them on a ship and then taking them to his house and planting them. And he says, it's my hobby. I really love big trees. (laughs) Giant (laughs) trees are my entertainment. How many famous trees are there in Georgia? And not as many as they used to be. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is the thing. He reckons that it's a good idea because before the people who had the trees on their land might not have been properly looking after them and so if he puts them on his land then he'll be able to look after them on his arboretum. Uh, but ecologists are sceptical.
2: Well he does say, doesn't he though that he'll plant ten trees for every one that he takes away. Or I think at least he did that for one of them. He did that for this giant tulip tree. It was a 650 ton tulip tree. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I thought
3: tulips were like
2: small. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought they were as well. I guess this is just one 650-ton tulip.
1: Yeah, that, well, you know, is context, actually. It's all in the way the photo's done. So you know those fields of tulips you see yeah. in the Netherlands? Those are actually all massive. <laughs> well,
3: you do oh, see no. the odd windmill, though, so maybe Dutch windmills are absolutely massive. They're even bigger. <laughs> <I think.
0: Yeah. laughs> maybe he's just duping them all. Maybe he's told them it's a tulip tree, so he's like, oh, I'll just give you these extra tulip <laughs> seeds. So you can have ten of them. <laughs> <laughs> have as many as you want. Um, this guy, he does sound amazing,
3: though. He
2: is incredible, and he's got this mansion, hasn't he? Which is kind of disgusting if you look it up. And it's, basically it is the James Bond mansion. It's like
3: a giant
1: glass spaceship. Yeah. And it, um, it's, it's on a mountainside, isn't it? So it overlooks the capital of his country from a mountainside. Yeah. Cool. So the, the indie went and interviewed him. And uh, when he went there, um, he said, there are eight different breeds of peacock. And I have them all. (laughs) So he does... He really likes collecting loads of stuff, basically. Yeah.
3: He has loads of animals, doesn't he? He has uh, zebras... Yeah. Um, yep. what else do you kangaroos have? kangaroos yeah. penguins
1: he, he is also
3: rumoured to have a shark tank he does no! yeah
2: yeah he does because he has to keep importing loads of salt for it all the time <laughs> I think like gallons of salt
3: apparently in the hallway of his house he has a work by Gilbert and George with a slogan that says say fuck off to rich bastards his net worth is 4.8 billion dollars <laughs> wow.
2: yeah I think his net worth is like 50% of the GDP of Georgia no isn't way. it no. I th- it's, it's between a third and a half depending on which source you read but it is yeah
1: well he sounds like the right man to be the former leader of the country doesn't he yeah. if, he's, if he is basically the GDP of Georgia
2: well indeed yeah <laughs> that's true
1: um, just quickly on uh, trees in Georgia because yeah. I don't think I'm going to get another chance to get my trees in Georgia fact <laughs> out what well, if this. Have one is, next week yeah it's possible you could put it in the book oh yeah Well, just in case I don't do that. (laughs) uh, So basically, Georgia breed Christmas trees. And you know the tree that we call the Nordman fir? And it gets called the Caucasian fir. It's basically the famous Christmas tree in Europe, as in 45 million gets sold all around Western Europe each year. Um, These trees are grown elsewhere, but they're originally from Georgia, as in the seeds that grow them Ah. are all from Georgian Christmas trees, and people in Georgia climb up them, and they're massive. Okay, so it's quite dangerous. There are fatalities every year. They collect the cones, Mm -hmm. which have got the seeds inside them, and then they sell the seeds to places like Denmark, and then Denmark actually does the work of growing and selling the trees. But Georgia misses out, because... Obviously, you need loads and loads of pine cones, and then they get sold for much more. It's like drugs, you know, it starts off quite cheap, but the street value of these trees is massive, so the Georgians, I think, they want to break into that and start growing their own trees. Say no to pine cones, kids. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Hey, while we're uh, just on Christmas trees, did you guys know that elephants floss using Christmas trees? Hmm. Have you guys no, heard that? I, no.
3: I don't think that's true. <laughs> it's it? true.
0: It's true. Elephants floss using uh, Christmas trees. I read, well, at least that's what I read. In uh, Germany, they've got this tradition every year. So they give their Christmas trees to the elephants at the zoo, and uh, people just hand over their trees, and the, and the elephants eat them. They can get through like three trees a day, but they also have been seen flossing with them. So I guess flossing the tree out of their teeth.
2: But with, holding it with their trunk and then in and out between their teeth.
0: Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen any pictures myself. They must be, because they don't have opposable thumbs, do they? So
3: it must be with their trunk. That's the only prehensile part of their body. Yeah. But it's weird that you would try and get a tree out with a tree, and how would it not be be that that tree would get stuck? Oh, yeah. Then you get a slightly
1: larger tree. There's the elephant version of the old woman who swallowed a fly. (laughs) Uh... It's the elephant who
0: flossed with a Christmas tree. Yeah. Eventually has to swallow a tulip tree, which is just (laughs) the biggest on Earth, apparently. Um, Speaking of trees, by the way, very quickly, we have just discovered that there are more trees on Earth than we thought there were. So there are now 427 million hectares more trees than we thought there were on Earth. How many did I think there were? uh 427 million hectares less than the number you've got in your head (laughs) yeah so minus that from whatever you've had uh to put it into context by the way that is if if all that tree the new tree was put into a place a single place it would take up 60 percent of the surface of australia
2: that's actually kind of less than i thought it would be
0: yeah
1: but no, that's is, is that only the bonus trees that we've got? It's not all the trees in the world, is it?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's the extra okay. bonus trees. Uh. Ah. So we can't
1: just go nuts and start cutting down all the trees <laughs> because we're, we're the Prime Minister of Georgia, or the ex-Prime Minister of Georgia. Yeah,
3: What it does mean is that he's got a lot more to collect now. But he's not collecting every
1: tree, <laughs> he's just collecting individual examples. Uh, right. Is he collecting all the trees in the world? No, no it's just got. the famous trees.
3: Oh, we yeah. don't know, do we? Because we only know where he's got to yeah. so far. We don't know where he's going to start. Because maybe he's starting with the most famous, but his list includes every single tree on the planet and he's just working his way down
1: down (laughs) to the least famous exactly yeah what is the least famous tree nobody
4: knows
0: (laughs) (laughs) well only he knows and his mother Um, did i ever tell you guys that my dad i used to to live when i was born in hong kong we lived in an island just off hong kong called discovery bay and my parents lived in this house and next door to them their neighbor had a tree in their front yard and my dad used to love this tree he just used to think i want one day to have a tree in my front yard as well well and so he 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 went out he got really drunk one night and he came back and he doesn't really remember what happened but in the morning my mum went outside opened the doors and went roger what have you done (laughs) and he quickly jumped up and he saw what he must have done in his drunken state which is clearly he was walking home he saw the tree thought god damn it i want that tree (laughs) so he dug it up and he brought the tree over and he planted it in our front yard but what he had failed to do was to cover up his tracks. So he saw the tree planted <laughs> beautifully in our yard with a huge trail of debris <laughs> and dirt leading to a gigantic hole <laughs> sitting in our neighbor's front yard. Amazing. Do
2: you know, I think, actually, even without that trail of earth, your neighbor might have just about figured out what was going on <laughs> there. <laughs> I
1: know I know that swing. Hold <laughs> a second. You're saying that your dad, when drunk, on his way home, <laughs> dug up a tree... What, presumably he was just on his way home so he wasn't carrying his spade with him yeah. so the implication is he dug it up with his bare hands
3: <laughs> also I can only imagine Dan's dad likes trees that are tree size so it must have been pretty big right yeah. so he dug up this tree with it. all he,
1: he thought <laughs> I want that tree went home got the spade
0: well home was just next door so it was very right. convenient He to could get have... the spade <laughs> <Yeah.
3: laughs> he could have dug it up with a cart and he got his kebab in
0: yes Yes, you're right because in Australia
1: all no in Hong Kong Kong, sorry in Hong Kong Kong, all kebab cartons are made of reinforced steel (laughs) uh,
0: in case of you know burning your hands well anyway he put the tree back so no one needs to press criminal charges or anything (laughs) I don't know if the guy ever noticed by the way my mum woke up really early in the morning (laughs) unless he was a very late riser I think he probably noticed So
3: your dad maybe replanted it before this guy woke up. Did he maybe wake up and he's like, this is orientated in a slightly (laughs) different way? That swing was on the other side.
2: (laughs) That poor guy has had mental health problems for the rest of his life, just had a nervous breakdown. He
1: actually invented the character of Groot for the Guardians of the Galaxy film about a mischievous tree. Um, Just quickly, while we're talking about moving trees, whether illegally or legally, or you know, with a polystyrene carton (laughs) if you don't have a polystyrene carton to hand, you can get these unbelievably cool things and they're called tree spades so they're these massive boxes right they look like a big uh, sort of space egg and you surround the tree with it I don't know quite where you uncouple it and surround the tree and then what it does is it has these massive round edged um, blades which dig into the ground very carefully lift up the entire tree roots and everything and then they can tilt it sideways and put it onto for example the side of a, a van or whatever that's and then so cool. or probably on the back of a van not the side of a van yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing yeah. that sounds
0: like it's it's given it a pot like it's it, the egg shape yeah, underneath has basically. just created the pot yeah, exactly. for it to stand in
1: and the really cool thing is they've been doing this for hundreds of years or at least I think 150 years as in they were doing this in Brooklyn but just without the big mechanical element but they still had these cool devices to up, so without things.
2: the mechanical element it's just a spade well <laughs> yeah it is they had spades they, yeah, had, they had spades, spades in yeah, in the,
1: the spade goes back 150 years not a lot of people know that <laughs> no they have these big tree moving wagons but, oh uh, right yeah. wow
3: so they put them onto the wagon sideways do they
1: Yeah, Because
3: the Prime Minister of Georgia, the ex-Prime Minister of Georgia, didn't do that. He sent his sticking upwards. No. Yeah, so there's some amazing pictures online. I'll try and put them on my Twitter. Um, There's one where he has a tree on a kind of a raft... Right. and he's taking it on the Black Sea <laughs> yeah. and it's just sticking up.
0: That's on this amazing. They, are, they look incredible.
3: You should look at the pictures. It's yes. incredible. If but you then... took
0: it from someone's land, you wouldn't necessarily know he was stealing it. It just might look like, oh, it looks a bit further away today, my tree. <laughs> <than it does." laughs> exactly. So then he took them along the coastline of the Black Sea, but the
3: coastline of the Black Sea is really shallow and so it got stuck there and so he then had to make a new road <laughs> to take <laughs> the tree along. And then that road collapsed, so he had to make a new road. And also, one time, he, t- he took um, a tree on the highway, and it was a magnolia tree. And when he was taking it, it got stuck on a eucalyptus
0: tree that was growing on the side of the road, no! so it just got entangled. Did it take the eucalyptus tree with him? Was it just like a tree chain? <laughs> heading... buy, buy one, get one tree. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a hell of a lot of hassle, this hobby of his, isn't it?
3: Yeah, his wife's probably saying you need to collect something smaller. Yeah. Or, or maybe he's just getting drunk every night and finding these trees in his garden every <laughs> We <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, Just because you you mentioned Christmas trees earlier, um, I was reading this amazing story about the Christmas tree shipping industry, which used to be huge in the US. They used to ship hundreds of Christmas trees on ships, and there was this particularly famous ship called the Rouse Simmons ship, and uh, it used to carry thousands of trees. And then in 1912, it had this very famous accident, and it sank. So it was carrying 5,500 trees from Michigan to Chicago, across Lake Michigan, and it was captained by this guy called Sherman, who was so famous, as a Christmas tree importer, that people called him Captain Santa, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> he used to go, he used to land in Chicago, and he really liked giving out Christmas trees to the poor and people who couldn't uh, afford Christmas. Uh, what are you laughing? It like?
1: doesn't quite make sense because Santa <laughs> arrives after the tree has been sorted <laughs> out. Basically, Santa doesn't bring the tree down the chimney. Maybe
0: Captain Santa comes and sorts that out. Captain Santa's like Santa's boss. Yeah, is exactly. Santa's that. just <laughs>
2: Lieutenant Santa is his full title.
0: <laughs> they should give him his full title. It's very confusing. Isn't it, it is. That's so cool.
2: <laughs> so Captain Santa, um, yeah, used to do this. And then there was this awful, there's a storm that sunk the whole ship and it, it killed everyone on board and all the trees sunk. So for years afterwards, fishermen on Lake Michigan would catch huge Christmas trees. <laughs> <Catch>. <laughs> <laughs> but what I quite like is, uh, well, first of all, his business partner who would always wait in Chicago with him was called Claude Winters. Quite nice normative determinism. Ooh, wow. wow,
0: yeah. And also Captain Santa Claude Winters. It's one letter away from Santa Claus Winters. <laughs>
2: Yes.
4: yes
0: yeah
2: okay um, <laughs> anyway just the other bizarre thing about this accident was that the captain santa left a message in a bottle when he knew the ship was in trouble and he corked it using the small piece of a cut pine tree from one of the trees that was on board oh and he left this message and it got picked up and uh, the message just said everybody goodbye i guess we're all through uh, leaking bad god help us
3: Leaking Bad, that sounds like a new Netflix show, doesn't it? <laughs> it's about the White House.
0: <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that US military medics use longer needles than normal because soldiers are often too buff. For the regular ones.
1: I think this sounds like a boast by the American army. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> it does,
1: doesn't it? Yeah. You should see the size of our condoms. <laughs> it's just a bit too yeah. convenient. That yeah. is a
3: common thing, isn't it, in armies that they send like enormous condoms. We saw Jimmy Carr the other day and he told yeah. us that story about Churchill. Oh yeah. There was a gun where they had a sheath kind of thing put over it yeah. and it was made by Jurex and so it was like a condom, but it was the size of a machine gun. It was <laughs> to stop the gun jamming or freezing in yes. yeah. and so what they did was they got a big consignment of them and then Churchill supposedly said well let's label it British condoms
0: small <laughs> <laughs> um, so let me give you a bit of background of where I got this fact from I'm reading a really good book called Grunt by Mary Roach Um, And she went around looking at all innovations going on in the military and classic Mary Roach investigation, finding out very much what we love, you know, the quirky facts about certain things. So this book's military and she spent time with a bunch of medics and this was told to her that basically um, a lot of the soldiers are so muscular, particularly around the pecs. And they often need to give them injections when they're out in the field for collapsed lungs. And they were finding um, in autopsies when they were doing it later, because in autopsies, uh, they all get an autopsy. Any soldier that dies gets an autopsy. When they were going to check out the collapsed lung and putting the needles in, none of them were reaching. And they thought, ah, this is no use for Mm -hmm. the field. So needles, I don't know if it's all the needles, but certainly there's a lot of needles that are extra large, long needles. That's amazing. Yeah.
3: They also have to make bigger needles for obese people, I think. Do they? Right. Uh, they did a study for, um, with some obese people, and they put the needles into their buttocks uh, to see if the um, stuff would get to the muscles. And they found that in less than a third of the patients, what they injected was getting through to where it needed to be. Wow. Yeah. So wow. they need to start making needles, which are now longer for obese people as well. It's terrible if you've got a fear of needles. Yeah.
2: Although, so a good way of combating a fear of needles has just been developed. um, It's to
3: never
1: have any Western medicine. (laughs) <laughs> yes. No, because if you get acupuncture, acupuncture. you've really oh, no. got to the...
2: <laughs> um, no, if you've got a fear of needles, uh, scientists have developed this thing which is a pill that's covered in needles that you swallow and that injects you from the inside. What? And oh, that's yes. to get you over it and this is really cool. So I think <laughs> this has been tested, it was tested on pigs the last time I read about it, but it might have been updated and it was to administer insulin and basically it's these little pills and they cover them in tiny needles and then they have an outer coating of the pill and when the pill gets into your stomach, then the outer coating of the pill dissolves and all these tiny tiny needles prod the lining of your stomach and they administer the drug straight into your bloodstream
1: but do you have to pass the
3: needles out later on
2: i think so but they we're talking like one millimeter less than a
3: millimeter i don't know that still sounds painful (laughs) maybe they dissolve
2: um maybe they do dissolve Maybe they're
1: really tiny
0: well, here okay. Here's a less painful one if you don't want to swallow needles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is used. Um, I don't know if it's if it was. This is just the trial I was reading about, but they definitely have developed this and it has been used. Um, so instead of having a morphine needle, let's say in order to numb you, uh, you can instead now have a lollipop. Wow, um, sticking you into to, you. Or... No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like it would be more painful than that a needle. That would be in many more ways. painful. Yeah. No.
1: I
2: would rather have morphine if I were in pain than a lollipop. Well, interestingly, on any day of the week, I'd <laughs> rather have morphine than a lollipop. Interesting. So it's,
0: it's not your classic lollipop, obviously. Oh. Um, it's it's uh, They call it the fentanyl lollipop. Um, and it's basically the drug. So it's got a drug in the lollipop. You eat it, and it absorbs through the tongue and the mouth. And that's really fast, apparently. So it spreads really quickly. And they can also tell when you've had too much. So, because you're sucking... Because it, you go... Don't <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly,
3: because <laughs> if it does go into... You know, it's a painkiller. It first goes into your tongue. It's going to be like at the dentist, isn't it? Where you can't talk. Yes, yes. It, exactly. Yeah.
2: It must numb, numb your tongue.
3: Yeah.
0: But they can obviously... If they see that enough of the drug has been put into the patient, they can stop putting more by simply just, just taking, taking the, the lollipop, lollipop away. Out. Yeah. That, and unkind. then you're just
3: going to be crying. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, um, there was an art installation once of a guy who gave babies lollipops and then took them off them and took photos of them crying. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's quite controversial. It, well, unsurprisingly. Unsurprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> Have you Sorry. had one of these lollipops?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you
3: know where the word uh, syringe comes from? Uh, s- syrinx is a thing in a bird, which makes it like a larynx. Ooh. Is it from
1: that? it is from the word syrinx, but... I uh, didn't know that bird no. thing, because Syrinx was in Greek mythology. She was, uh, no, he, no, she. Uh, Syrinx, <laughs> she was a an nymph, uh, and she was being chased by the god Pan, right? And then she disguised herself as some water reeds. Okay, oh. clever, but not clever enough, because Pan then chopped the reeds off and blew into them to make a whistling sound. And that's where he got his panpipes. Oh, but no it's way. also where the word syringe oh. was taken from because you you know it's a long thin tube of something.
3: That must be where the syrinx of or a syrinx of a bird comes from because it's the whistling sound ah. and that's what they use to make their tweets. Ah. That's there we so go. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I have some things on muscles. Oh, oh yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, so there's a guy called Zhang Jingquan in China who holds a world record for pulling the largest vehicle. Um, By pressing a rice bowl onto his abdominal muscles, creating a suction and then attaching it to a vehicle and pulling it. How how large was the vehicle? It was 3,305.5 kilograms and he he pulled it for 10 meters. Wow.
2: Just through suction that adhered?
3: It adhered to his muscular abdomen. That's I would incredible. have thought that
2: there would always, because you're not flat enough to be able to, for the suction, that's Zhang
3: incredible. Zhang
2: <laughs> I'm really impressed that's by that. That's incredible.
3: Yeah. I think he did it to impress people. Did it's it? It's
2: worked like a trial. <laughs>
3: it's, it's half worked, I'd say, Anna. Yeah? And then it's worked on you. I'm not impressed. You're not impressed? <laughs> no, no. He's pulled a three-ton vehicle. Using suction on his abdomen. I think that's a very bad way of trying to pass your driving test. <laughs> I think if only he. D- <laughs> I told you he wasn't trying to do that. He was trying to impress people. Oh, I see. Well, he hasn't done that either. Okay.
2: Did you guys know a fa- one fact about the U.S. military? Yeah, sure. And their pens. Do you know they all use the same pen? Just the one it's pen.
1: so annoying. <laughs> They're sharing this. <laughs> sorry, sorry, General McMaster's got the pen today. <laughs> um, Do you
3: sorry. mean pen as in thing you write with or that you keep animals in? Uh,
2: I, uh, yeah, the pen they write with, it's called a Skillcraft pen. It's the same company that's been making their pen since I think uh, I think the 1920s. But apparently every, every American listening will apparently know what it is. It's used in war zones. It's designed to fit into you. US military uniforms and
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's designed not to be so impossibly large that it doesn't fit into a normal human pocket.
2: All right, yeah. Uh, So they've got this pen that fits snugly into their uniforms, specifically designed. that it can do that Um, it can stand in for a two inch fuse apparently it's designed for that I don't really know how a pen does that what Um, it comes in handy during emergency tracheotomies which I think a lot of pens can do that no
3: pens can't do that you know Oh. oh yeah there's a study done and actually most pens are not suitable for tracheotomies
2: Well, guys, you better get the skill craft if you feel like you're going to need one. So, is
3: it where you put a pen? Okay, you'll see it. Yeah, you'll see it in movies sometimes. Someone's choking, and then someone goes, "Ah, I'm a surgeon, and (laughs) here's a biro, and I'll stick it in your neck, and you can breathe through the pen," kind of thing. But anyway, if you're ever in that situation, it probably won't work. Oh, but it would be quite stabbed in the neck, unless you have one of these special.
2: Skill craft. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, more legends about this pen. Um, so the main thing about it is they're all manufactured by blind workers. So it was set up, I think, during the Great Depression as a way of giving work to people who would otherwise find it really difficult to find work. Mm-hmm. So everyone who works in the factory makes this uh, doesn't have sight and there are 16-page specifications for exactly what the pen has to be able to do. It needs to be able to write continuously for a mile and in temperatures of up to 160 degrees and down to minus 40 degrees. All quite important for the army if you've got secret messages that you need to get
3: I don't know when across. you're going to be in the army and you have to write a line that's a mile long. Well, maybe <laughs>
1: you need to show your troops the way to the nearest base yes. <laughs> and it's a mile away.
2: Um,
1: wow, that sounds amazing.
2: It's, it's surrounded by legend. Apparently the length of the pen is equivalent to 150 nautical miles on Navy maps and that makes it easy for uh, people in the Navy to navigate because they use that pen and they know that that was 150 miles on the map. I mean, they could just look at the scale of the map, I guess. But sometimes... Mm.
3: Because 150, if it was 100, I could see that almost. But 150 isn't that round a number. Do you know what I mean?
2: But they need to stay quite mentally alert. So it's important to test their math skills (laughs) at the same time. (laughs) Uh,
3: But presumably they're two inches long because they can be used as a two-inch fuse. Uh, Yeah, maybe there's a bit that's... uh, Detachable. detachable. but actually, two inches is quite a small it's pen.
1: Only five centimeters long, and that obviously would fit snugly inside the average soldier's uniform. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Five centimeters oh, okay. is about that long, which is a short pen. That's, it is. It's yeah.
3: like it's more like um, it's like a Ladbrokes pen yeah, or, yeah, um, or a, an Argos pen. Yeah, yeah, an
2: Argos
0: pencil. Yeah.
2: So they're not that short. Right. It must be a detachable bit.
3: Okay. Okay.
2: Anyway, just thought I wanted to know about the skillcraft pen. It's yeah, that's great. Very cool. Very it's so cool.
1: cool. I have one more thing about needles. Mm-hmm. So, you know how mosquitoes bite you? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. different. <laughs> they've got six different needles, which I didn't know. Really? Yeah. So, they have, they have this really complicated multi-part drill bit. So, they have two which drill through the skin, right? They have two more which hold the edges of your skin apart. And there's a fifth one which drops saliva into you wow. to stop your blood clotting. And then there's the sixth one which actually sucks the blood up. Wow. But that's not even the cool thing. The cool thing is, how much volume would you say of blood um, a mosquito can fit inside it?
2: Well, the hand gesture you're making is about large melon size. So, about
1: Compared (laughs) to the size of the mosquito, how much? Yeah,
3: so I would say it could fill 50% of its body. 50% of its body, okay. Four-year-old child. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
2: So, if you look at um, um, ticks on... Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They pets. can get much. Then bigger, they, they get they? about a thousand percent of their own body. Well, here's worth. the thing: what do mosquitoes
1: get? can fit ten times as much blood into them as the size of a mosquito, not through swelling up. Wow! What they do is, as her gut fills up, the female mosquito separates the water in the blood she's sucking up from the actual red blood cells, and she squeezes the water out of her bottom. So she can fit more red blood cells, which is the good stuff that you can get. So does
3: that mean that when a mosquito's biting you, it's also pissing? I, well, it's your blood,
1: though. It's the water from your blood that Yeah, but it doesn't increasing. matter where,
3: when you're urinating. It doesn't matter. It's like, oh, this isn't urine because I was drinking orange juice earlier <laughs> on. Yeah.
1: It's orange juice, officer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's just orange juice I'm pouring away here. Please don't arrest me. <laughs> also, um, at that point, is it a mosquito with blood in it, or is it a lot of blood
3: It's <laughs> with a mosquito around It's actually both. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is Chizinski.
2: My fact is that if you drew a dot in indelible ink on your eardrum, it would appear on the outside of your ear within a few weeks. I
1: mean, are you using the Skillcraft pen? <laughs> so beloved by the US Army. <laughs> yeah, to draw also, this
3: dot? I was just thinking the Skillcraft pen would be good if you wanted to put it in the cloaca of chickens. <laughs> yeah. yeah!
2: Specifically designed to fit in the chicken cloaca. <laughs> yeah.
3: And in a human And ear. also, a chicken's cloaca... If you put it on a map, it's exactly 150 kilometers. <laughs> if you don't have your pen, but it
2: messes up the map.
0: Yeah. So, how does it work? What do you mean? It's amazing. What in the
2: ear? So, the way um, the eardrum works is that the skin grows outwards in a spiral um, because it needs to carry dead skin out away from the eardrum and then to the outside world where it falls off. (laughs) Um, And so, and it grows at about the same uh, rate as fingernails, I think. What? And so, the skin starts off in your eardrum and then it's carried out, picks up earwax, picks up all the dust, transports it outside the ear, falls out.
3: Same speed as continents move.
2: Because oh, yes. they
0: always say that's the same as a fingernail, yeah, don't they? They do. Wait, so, and also it's a bit like a, um, a conveyor belt system?
2: Exactly. It's exactly and is like like all belt the skin wow. on your
1: body, does that originate
3: in the ear? Or does it <laughs> Does it start? Is there a barrier where it stops growing outwards? If you drew a little dot on your eardrum, <laughs> yeah. then it just moves around the body. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have it if you want to get a tattoo
1: very slowly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> How did yeah. you get that? I'm not saying that the body is built from the eardrum <laughs> yeah, out. It just falls off and you leave it behind. But it must fall oh. off
1: at a certain point.
2: Yeah. Uh, How far out of your ear before it falls out? <laughs> on your foot. Um.
1: <laughs> at the end of the big toe, it falls off. That's why your socks are always full of loose skin. <laughs> With dots on them. Yeah. right.
2: Uh no it just actually most <laughs> most of it is reabsorbed actually I think most earwax is reabsorbed back into the body before it reaches the outside So I'm
1: confused about this because obviously you get earwax in the ears and this is related to the eardrum uh, yeah. Is it so
3: produced at the eardrum earwax? But earwax is actually mostly dead skin.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> ah, it is.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's what was confusing me. Cause yeah, I didn't yeah. know what it was made so of. So it's
3: got this kind of waxy stuff, but it's basically the big mass of it is bits of dead skin from your eardrum. Oh.
2: So, um, it's produced by these glands inside your ear, which I think are in the sort of outer ear. So the dead skin spirals up a bit and then picks up the sticky substance in, from these glands. And it's got like fatty acids in it. It's got cholesterol in it. Uh, other fats and it also has alcohol in it so I really wanted to find out what the exact alcohol content of earwax was (laughs) and then work out the equivalent of a pint but I can't
3: how much earwax would you have to eat before you went over the legal limit yeah Ah. (laughs) poor policeman
1: (laughs) who pulls you over (laughs) you just got a mouthful of earwax you know those
0: medical trial things that people go and do to test things out imagine being that the gig you get
2: how much would they have to pay you to agree to eat enough earwax to get you
3: drunk (laughs) well we don't know how much it is you see let's for all see. we know it's just like one little tiny bit of earwax is yeah.
0: enough to put you over the limit let's say it's a amazing. shop glass full of earwax right uh, like well I'll, I will negotiate but I'll start at 10,000
2: 10,000 yeah. I'd do it for probably a tenner come on what, what? Guys. <laughs> I was going <laughs> in the
0: other direction yeah. <laughs> too late we've agreed that my one's the one <laughs>
3: okay
0: well, um, I think Hannah's currently leading
1: the
3: bid at the moment. I yeah, think, she is. I reckon we can crowdfund 10,010 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can both do it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So Japanese mothers clean out their kids' ears uh, with these um, ear, ear rakes. They're called mimikaki. And then when Japanese people grow up, they really like the feeling of it. And so you get ear salons where you go and you pay quite a lot of money <laughs> wow. to go and have your ears cleaned out. Same kind of thing. But the thing about this is <laughs> if you start, which all of you will have read, when you start looking up earwax and ears, there's not a single medical professional worldwide who doesn't say straight away, do not put anything in your ear. It's really, really bad for you. Yeah. But then, then
3: weirdly, we're all putting our fingers in our ears while we're talking about this. Yeah. I mean, Ooh, I put, you just did it I then. did, didn't I? I put and my,
1: my in my ears whenever <laughs> any of you talks. to me
3: <laughs> <this>. <laughs> I wonder if people listening to this are also putting their fingers in their ears. And it's a kind of thing that you just automatically do, like, a, you I'm know, sure. some kind of social things that are... They're catching, mm. yeah. you know I mean? like a yawn kind of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I bet. I spoke to a doctor once who said you should never put anything smaller than a courgette in your ear. And yeah. the, the the thing was, obviously, you can't fit one of those in, but yeah. you shouldn't put anything else in.
0: Right? Yeah, that yeah. is
3: exactly the case. That's probably true of most like <laughs> holes in your body.
1: You shouldn't put anything smaller than a courgette yeah. into them. Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: Um, a couple of years ago, they found a cat abandoned in Norfolk. Right? Mm-hmm. Some people found it an abandoned cat, and it had three ears. Really? And
2: Were they all belonging to it Or had it just <laughs> It was just eating a mouse's it ear It had this
1: extra ear On its on its left hand side Aww. In front of its other ear mm-hmm. Can you guess what they consider calling it?
0: Oh Um
1: It's really good
3: Okay Ear
0: yeah. Ear yeah, kitty kitty oh, That's very that's good That's
3: very
1: good Ear yeah. kitty
3: kitty kitty surely Sure Yeah Well no it'd be sure. ear 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 Kitty ear. <laughs> yeah. Um, um what's it Shall I tell I tell you?
1: I'll tell you what they called it and then you see if you can guess why. They thought about calling it Captain Kirk. Okay.
3: okay. Because he had a wild frontier or something. It was an old joke, isn't it? Oh. Where, where do
1: they go in Star Trek? The
2: Final Frontier. The yes. Final Frontier. The Final Frontier. Oh, oh yeah. That's
3: and they
1: considered nice. calling it that and then they called it Brian.
3: Oh. <laughs> 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 after three-eared Brian, Was <laughs> that the
1: worst handbrake turn on a name?
3: <laughs> um, speaking of cats, in 1968, New York vet Robert A. Lopez wanted to discover whether it was possible for the ear mite, which you get in cats, to infest humans. Um, so he removed some mites from a cat's ear, mixed them with his earwax, and then introduced them into his ear. Uh, and it turns out they can infest people's ears. <laughs> really so. hoping for a
2: no in this study. Really <laughs> hoping for a no. Wow.
3: So it was extremely painful. Um, you know, this, it was loads of sounds in his ear all the time. Um, they traveled deeper into his eardrum and they got louder and louder. Oh by, the third year, by the third week, he was completely deaf in the ear. Oh my God. Uh, in the fourth wow. week, the mite activity was 75% reduced. Which is good, yeah. but he could feel the mites crawling across his face at night. <laughs> oh, um, on the inside or the outside? Uh, across the yeah, outside of his outside face. Of pra- face. Probably yeah. trying to find a new ear. <laughs> um, oh my and god! So he finished that and then did the experiment two more times <laughs> with his other two ears, <laughs> uh, and found that the effects diminished. Which he said that maybe his body found an immune. Reaction against the mites. Ah, That's maybe. good. So, there
2: are two ways of avoiding uh, suffering from cat mite infestations. Either infest yourself repeatedly, <laughs> or just don't do it in the first place.
1: <laughs> there was a woman who she had a spider in her ear, didn't she? She had a live tarantula in her ear. No, you're, thinking you're, of no. the,
2: you're thinking of the nursery rhyme, I yeah. think. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it was the fly first. There was it? an no. old lady who
3: put a fly in her ear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know why. Now she can't hear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, there was. There was a woman who had a live translator
3: removed from her ear. Really? Yeah. She wow. inserted the courgettes to get rid of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M james at egg shaped and anna you can email podcast at qi.com yep or you can go to our group account which is at qi podcast or go to our website no such thing as a we've got all of our previous episodes up there we have a link to our tour which is happening in october and november and we also have a link to our book the book of the year which is coming out in november check it all out we'll be back again next week with another episode we'll see you then goodbye